When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. Betches Media presents... He's in the building! Afternoon Tea with host Sammy Sage. Is that what you're saying? Please proceed, Governor. Presented by the Betches Sub Podcast. Better hope there's a lot of girls listening to this with the volume turned down. Your weekly dose of political therapy. Cardi... That's what I've been doing my whole life. And now, with this week's guest... Well, there were three of us in this marriage, so it was a bit crowded. Your host, Sammy Sage. Welcome to today's episode of Afternoon Tea, your companion to the morning announcements and weekly political therapy session brought to you by The Betches Sub. Today's guest is Amanda Lippman, co-founder and executive director of Run For Something, a PAC that helps recruit and support young, diverse progressives to run for office. She's also the author of Run For Something, a real talk guide to fixing the system yourself. She's worked on Hillary Clinton's and Barack Obama's campaigns. And after this conversation, don't be surprised if you find yourself thinking about running for elected office yourself. And with that, let's get the tea from Amanda. Thank you so much for joining us, Amanda. Um, We are thrilled to have you. And it is such a necessary conversation to talk about um, millennials and people kind of in our generation running for office. um, And that is obviously your focus. So what inspired you to start Run For Something? So I am a campaign rep. I worked for Obama's campaign in 2012 in Chicago doing online fundraising. I then worked for his nonprofit for a year, went down to Florida, worked on the governor's race for a year and then moved to New York and started working for Secretary Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign. I was her email director, which meant like sending emails, asking for money, not the emails that Fox News talk about all the time. Yeah, later it took a different meaning, (laughs) Hillary's emails. (laughs) Had to explain that one to my grandma a few times. And it was a privilege and an honor and absolutely fucking devastating. Uh, When we lost, I felt like my world had ended. It was a personal and professional and existential crisis. I got a Facebook message from somebody I went to college with about a week after election day. Hey, Amanda, I'm a public school teacher in Chicago. You've been working in politics for, it seems like, forever. What do I do if I want to run for office? They keep cutting our budgets here. I'm really sick of it. What do I do? And I did not have an answer for him because at the time, if you were young and newly excited about politics and wanted to do more than vote and more than volunteer, you wanted to actually lead there was nowhere you could go that would be guaranteed to take your call. And that, to me, felt like a problem that was a symptom of a whole bunch of other problems in the Democratic Party. So I reached out to a whole bunch of people, one of whom became my co-founder, this incredible operative named Ross Morales Riquetto. He's worked in campaigns for like 15 years. And we wrote a plan. We built a website. 
And then we launched Run for Something on Inauguration Day four years ago, thinking it would be a really small side hobby committed to recruiting and supporting young, diverse progressives running for local office all across the country. We figured we'd get 100 people who wanted to run in the first year. In the first week, <laughs> a thousand people signed up. And as of today, we're up to more than 70,000 young people all across the country who've raised their hands to say they want to run. Wow. I mean, I feel like you picked up a lot at the Women's March that day. <laughs> like that was Yeah. I mean, it was a, that is really amazing that it it went so quickly and very very inspiring just even for me personally to hear those numbers. So, what do you think either before or now are some of the biggest barriers to young people getting into politics? Um someone had asked me that on a Q&A actually yesterday and I kind of like you know, I have my guesses, but in speaking to people, what do you think those are? Well, I think part of it is structural and like keeping in mind that the structures of our institutions determine who is able to enter them. And especially for state and local office, like a lot of these aren't full-time. A lot of these are not paid as full-time if they're paid at all. A lot of them, you need to have flexible jobs or a day job that lets you leave for three or four months out of the year to go live in the state capital and work. Um, they're not meant for working class people. They're not meant for young people. They're not meant for people with families. They're meant for rich, old, white, independently wealthy men, candidly. So there's like real structural barriers here. And that's before you even get to the approach of campaigning, which isn't in itself a full-time job on top of what is already a full-time job. And it's really hard and it puts yourself out there. It's being very public. That's all to say there are barriers that are, you know, outwardly posed from state parties and from incumbents who may not help young people run, who may doubt young people have the fundraising capacity or the skill set to do it. And over the last four years, Run for Something has helped elect nearly 500 young people to local office, most of whom are young women and most of whom are young people of color. So like, it's possible. And the coolest part about once you see that it's possible is that it inspires more people to do it too and to change the rules with them as they go, which has been really cool to see. How did you – okay, maybe we could do like a little bit of role play. Hit me. I have a friend and I want – I think she would make a great elected official. How do you kind of convince that person? Or maybe it's not – maybe they don't even need so much convincing, but they do need to work through the barriers. So – Okay, I'll be the friend who doesn't who doesn't who's afraid. Okay. How are you going to get me to how are you going to get me to run? So, Sammy, you have been telling me over the last 6 months how frustrated you are with how hard it is to find an affordable apartment, right? It's like so right. hard. The rent is too damn high. Rent is too damn high. You've been telling me how irritating it is that the streets are like not paved very well, that our city's really been screwing up the um, the management, they, they don't pick up our trash. The water is really it's all a mess. It's horrible. It's horrible. I have an idea for you, Sammy. I think you should run for office. I think you should run for city council and I think you should fix it. And I want to help you. Uh, I mean, I really appreciate that you have so much faith in me, but I don't, I don't think I'd be really good at running a campaign. And I don't know. I don't, don't think I have the time. No one's going to vote for me anyway. Okay. Have you seen some of the idiots that are in charge? <laughs> like, Yeah, but, but they're all rich. They are all rich. But let me tell you, I promise you that I'm going to be your first donor. And I'm going to get all of our friends from school and from family and from work to donate to you too. We're going to be able to raise you the money. We're going, to be able, we're going to be able to raise you the money. And I promise that when you have to go knock doors, I'm going to knock doors with you every day. 
I'm going to be there with you every single day. And, and, and I know this great group run for something. It's going to help you. They've got this thing to like get you set up with a campaign plan. They'll connect you to experts who can help you figure out your budget. They'll get, if you're good, they're going to endorse you. They'll get you in the paper or, you know, the paper, whatever it is. (laughs) They'll push you on social. They'll help us get volunteers. Like we're going to do this. And you know, I actually, I saw a woman who has a resume just like you just ran for city council in Boston or in Richmond or wherever. And she won. So, like, if she can do it, you can definitely do it. Okay, but, like, what about what about all the time? Like, I can't leave my job. I have student loans I need to pay off. I don't know what I'll do if I don't have an income, and then I lose, and I lost, and I have already left my job. What do I do about money? Yeah, I'm not going to bullshit you. It's going to be really hard. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> don't want to pretend it's not going to be really hard. But I have heard you talk about this for months and months and months and even years. And I know how deeply you care about this. And I think if you don't do this, someone who doesn't care as much might. And they might not, they might win. And then they might not focus on the things that I know are really important to you, like our rent and our streets and our schools. And I think that you should do this. Even if you lose, it will be worth it because you're going to make a huge difference on what the eventual winner talks about and cares about, you know? Okay, fine. You've convinced me to look into it. I'll go to their website. Yeah. <laughs> You're really good at that, honestly. I, <laughs> I was like, ooh, lot. maybe I could run. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think like the reality is, is that nobody is born a politician. It's like being an artist or a musician. Like you be the way you become an artist or a musician is by making art or making music. The way you become a politician is by running for office. You're not born into it. Nobody anoints you. You just decide you want to do it and then you do it. And then all of a sudden that's who you are. And I I think it's kind of cool in a way that you can like rebuild your identity in this way. That is really interesting. Do you ever get young people who are afraid of like what they, you know, something they put on Facebook in 2006, like worried about that? Like, do you get, do you get that? Because I, I feel like it's so interesting with our generation is that so much of what we've done is online, documented, screenshotted, saved. What about people who have like things that they are embarrassed of and they're afraid of either coming out? Like, and I'm not saying like an overblown worry. Like, what if someone really like has some shit like that? Yeah, I, I think it's worth noting like it depends on what that shit is. But generally speaking, voters are pretty forgiving. I mean, Stacey Abrams had a bunch of student loan debt. John Ossoff had photos of him playing beer pong. Um, we know at this point that many, many politicians have you know, smoked weed or uh, gotten divorced, have student loans, have gone bankrupt, you know, this kind of thing. What we have found and what our candidates have found is that um, voters will forgive a lot, but they will not forgive deception. So long as you're upfront and can own your story, and especially if you have grown from that, um, they will be pretty accepting. We work with this woman, Bethany Hallam. Um, who, if you're interested on the Run for Something podcast, who was one of our first interviews, it's so compelling. Um, she spent 10 years as an opioid addict who ultimately was homeless, addicted to heroin, and spent the election night in 2016 in jail. When she got wow. clean, one of the things that she realized she wanted to do was change the way that the county, Allegheny County, which is in Pittsburgh, oversees and works with addicts, with opioid addicts, with people in their jail system. So she ran for county council. She won. So now three years later, she oversees the same system that she went through. 
as an addict and as someone who was formerly homeless and you know as someone who spent time in the in the criminal justice system like who better than someone like that to be in charge of it that is really inspiring actually i mean that is maybe like the most inspiring story i've heard about someone who became an elected official more inspiring than josh hawley for sure and like she's not even the only one i mean the, the coolest thing about getting to work with these candidates over the last four years is seeing how normal people can become it's not even superheroes it's public servants and they're just like you and me they are parents they are teachers they are nurses they are artists they are people who have dealt with addiction and uh, depression and anxiety and eating disorders and also uh, great accomplishments and MBAs and and art and and music like they're they're normal right. people and with all of their flaws and getting to see them like change their lives to run for office and then win and then really make a difference. It's so cool. It's what makes me believe that government can be good even when there's so much proof to the contrary. Yeah, I mean, I think what we're missing is the normal people, to be honest. We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair and skin, yes, but beyond that too. Since I started using pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great, it looks fancy on the shelf, and I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And Pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash feverdream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash feverdream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash feverdream. Okay, so let's say you encourage someone to run for the city council or school board or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. How do you how does that person then know what that job actually entails? Like, where's the on the job training for something like that? So a lot of it comes from people who've been there before. So remember, something has a really big alumni network at this point. We've endorsed nearly 1500 people in all 50 states. Many about a third of them have won, so about 500 elected officials who will help coach up and coming candidates. Um, the tricky thing about working in local government is the structure varies so widely. So like you and I are in New York, the New York City government is a very different mess than the Boston City government or the Richmond City government or the LA City government or county government or how it's structured. So it's really hard for there to be exact apples to apples education. That being said, there's a lot of guides out there on how different government structures work. Um, the best thing that folks can do if they're thinking about it is to take a look at your county um, board of elections, your excuse me, your county clerk website, it'll have guides on sort of what the elected offices are. Runforwhat.net, which is the run for something hub, has a space where you can enter your address and it'll show you all the available offices on the ballot in 2021. So you get a sense of like what the filing deadlines are, sort of very top level, what do they do? Um, and then when you sign up with us, we can help coach you through the rest of it. 
is it doable to have like a full-time job and do one of these positions asking for a friend? Yes, 100%. Most positions. So there's actually more than half a million elected positions in the United States. Most of them, 99.9% of them are not full-time. They're not Congress. They're not governor. They're not president. You know, they're not like an attorney general or a statewide elected office. Um, many of them are second full-time jobs or can feel like that. Um, you know, a school board position can require a lot of time in meetings and meeting with community members. Library boards, which I'm personally obsessed with, can require a lot of time. But they are entirely meant for people who have also full-time jobs. That being said, one of the reasons that a lot of like retirees fill these positions is because it's a way to fill your time. Um, so I think it's really important for young people to run, win, and then help make sure that the structure is changed so that it's more amenable to other young people too. That Yeah. Okay. So a few, a few different directions we could go in. So, okay. What's an example of a way to make the system or many examples of a way to make the system more amenable to young people running? So there's things like raising pay. Um, for example, New York state legislator just legislature just raised their pay a little bit, um, which makes sense. They have to live in two places. Um, the New Hampshire state legislature, I believe their current per diem or current yearly salary is like maybe $200 yearly salary, yearly salary to be New Hampshire state legislator. Plus you get like a per diem per year. You get $200 the whole year. Yeah, it's basically a volunteer job. There are like 430 members, I believe, of the New Hampshire State Legislature. It's the biggest one in the country. It's not meant to be a full-time position. It's meant for older folks. And I think that's part of the problem is like you get the structure. So one of the things you can do, and it's hard because it's like not politically great to be seen as giving yourself a raise, but if you, you can do it in a way such that it is meant to open the structures. We've also seen things like city council members who have kids setting up childcare services during city council meetings, which both makes it more amenable for the members, but also for people who want to come. You know, it's a, a big barrier. I mean, have you ever been to a New York community board meeting? Not in the city, but um, in it's so funny. In high school, um, my school was like the center of a giant embezzlement scandal, so I really enjoyed going to like the school board meetings. And like, yeah, it's a it's a thing. Yeah. If you, I mean, if you go to these meetings, like the people who show up determine the direction of the conversation. Like I love going to New York community board meetings, especially like before pandemic times, because it would just be a bunch of people screaming about parking. It's like, yeah, (laughs) going cars. What what are we doing here? Like it matters who's in the room and who's in the room is determined by what kind of availabilities and accessibility there is. So things like childcare, um, things like raising the pay, even things simply like holding meetings with ASL interpreters or with bilingual interpretation or multilingual interpretation can make it more accessible to people. So going back to something when we were doing that little role play about the money. Yeah. Um, what what do people do if they just simply like a cannot afford it because of the opportunity cost of losing you know their normal mm-hmm. salary what what about those situations like isn't there still ultimately a barrier to someone who doesn't have like kind of a decent amount saved up which is very few people yeah again i don't want to pretend it's not hard it is you should have your finances in order meaning like you should know where your rent or your mortgage payment is going to come from each month and how to pay your bills and you're not really self-funding your campaign. And I think that's a misconception people, a lot of people have. They're like, oh my God, a campaign's going to cost me $50,000. I don't have $50,000. It's like, you're not paying $50,000. You're raising $50,000. 
And in fact, for most local elections, you're actually raising much less. 75% of school board elections cost $1,000 or less. 85% cost $5,000 or less. Yeah, they're, wow. they're shockingly cheap. Um, you know, an average three mayoral candidates in Boise, Idaho, spent a combined under $100,000. Some races are much, much more expensive. But a lot right. of ones are, are much cheaper than you think. And when you are fundraising you are giving people a way to invest in their community. I joke around a lot. It's like a little gimmicky, but I really do think asking people for money for a cause is an act of service. Um, you know, like when you were really stressed over the last four years, like what did you do? You made calls, you may have gone and volunteered. But for a lot of us, the way that we did something, and I, I don't want to diminish it in any way, it's really important. We threw money at it. We go donate to ACLU or to Planned Parenthood or to run for something or to a candidate or to a cause or a mutual aid network. We threw money at the things because we knew that doing so would help fund the organizers who were doing the work. When you are running, especially for local office and especially around issues that are really personal to people, you are giving them a chance to do something with their anger about their city or their community or their schools or their towns. It gives them a place to do something meaningful about it. And because if you win, you can change it. So I think it's actually a really important thing, especially for women who feel very uncomfortable asking for money, generally speaking. There's a lot of research around this, like hesitation. But I'm not asking you for a loan for lunch. I'm asking you right. to invest in the place that we live and that we share and that hopefully we're going to live in and, and make a life in. I can tell that you're really good at asking for money, which is like no one has that skill. That is a really special skill. Uh, but I can tell that you're good at it because I'm. I'm like, oh, I could give her I mean, some money. <laughs> yeah. Asking for money is terrible. It's not fun. Nobody likes it. If you like it, you're a sociopath. But it, I believe in what I am doing, and I think if you're a candidate, you have to believe so intensely that you can make a difference in your campaign. Your com campaign can move the needle, and you drink the Kool Aid. And then when you start trying to share the Kool Aid, it comes through. Like I. Right. I mean, I, most of my job is raising money for run for something. Do I love asking for money? No, but I love run for something. So like, I think everyone should be as excited as I am about it because it's so cool. What we're doing is really exciting. Right. It, it's, I mean, it's true. I also think you definitely bring a slightly different tone than like your, your typical, I don't know, the people you think of when you think of politicians who are generally a little older and, mm -hmm. you know, it, it just has a different vibe. But speaking to that, um, it, what, I guess one of the questions that I have is like, it feels like people always get into politics because they want to like change the world. But then when you look at like some of our longest serving officials mm -hmm. and there's this out of touchness, I guess is the only way to put it. And it just feels like the people who make it that far are the ones who were willing to sacrifice things that maybe you didn't th they didn't think they would sacrifice um when they first got into politics so i guess as a as a voter what kind of qualities do you think are the most important for an elected official what should we be looking for in our politicians is it total agreement agreement with their policies or is it um alignment with them as a person or as sort of like their value system seems to align with yours so i think about voting as a as a way of hiring someone to do a job and you're delegating them the responsibility of caring. That is not to say that you shouldn't care. Like you should obviously as a citizen or as a voter, as a part of your civic engagement, care very much about what's going on. But 
I don't want to have an opinion about every single thing happening in our government. Like I have shit to do. I don't, I don't want to, (laughs) I want to, I read the news. I'm very engaged, but like, I can't, and it's not my job to be an expert in everything happening. So as a voter, I want to delegate the responsibility of knowing everything and of giving a shit about everything to someone who I can trust to be in that room who will care about people like me and the people that I care about and who'll care about most vulnerable communities and who will care about outcomes and not just their reputation. So yes, I think there's a certain amount of like looking for someone who agrees with you, but the reality is, is the kinds of things that are going to come up are not going to be the things you have preset policy positions on anyway. It's like who had a position on how you should handle a global pandemic before a year ago? You, you don't right. you can't prepare for that. What you can prepare is for someone who clearly shares your values in terms of caring about science, believing we should trust experts, believing it's our responsibility to like keep people healthy and economically safe and secure and in homes and that housing and healthcare is a right that everyone has should have access to. So I, I think it's really about values. And like if ultimately I elect someone who shares my value that everyone has a right to a safe and secure home and they have a different opinion on the best way to approach that than I do. Okay. Maybe not the best, but like ultimately we're, we're working towards the same goal. So when I think about it as a voter, it's who do I delegate to be in their room and to know everything so that I can trust them to make the decision. That's, that's definitely an interesting point. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are four dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Because some of these positions, like I imagine, you know, when you're starting with with a, a newer candidate, how much knowledge do run for some people who, you know, register with run for something? How much like political knowledge do they usually have? Because unless you're kind of a you said you're like a campaign, a campaign rat, you know, I'm sure you have like years of technical knowledge under your belt. What about people who maybe they just started yeah. getting involved this year or interested this year or in the past few years and they just don't have like the context for so many issues? What where how do they fill those gaps? A lot of is listening. Most people we work with have maybe one or two issues they like really care about. Um, and the rest they like have a perspective on, um, but they don't necessarily have an opinion or they don't know everything. The thing we have found is that the best candidates, the thing that makes a really good candidate is one, a willingness to listen two, a willingness to do the work three, um, a genuine connection to the place they're running. So like, do they understand the voters they're trying to represent? Um, and four, like a real, an understanding 
that this is going to be hard and they're probably going to lose and it's going to be worth it anyway. And the thing that like, if you internalize it as like, I'm not running to be something, I'm running to do something. I'm not running for power. I'm not running for a title. I'm not running for money. There's no money in this. I'm not running for glamour. I am running because I care so deeply to ensure that rent is stabilized in my community or that my mom gets better healthcare than she currently has, or that no one has to struggle like my grandparents are. If that's why you do this, it is so much easier to wake up every day and to learn and to listen and to internalize and to be willing to like put in the work it requires to, to, to educate yourself. And the thing about like the mechanics of campaigning, I mean, there's like the policy stuff, which there's tons of people who teach you. Mechanics of campaigning are not hard. There's a lot of jargon and a lot of like institutional stuff that's like meant to keep outsiders out. But that's part of what Run for Something does is try and give you an on-ramp into it. So how do you get the voter file? What is the voter file? Uh, who do you talk to from it? How do you figure out which voters to talk to? And then how do you talk to them? What do you say? Like, it's not rocket science. Dumber people than you have done it and done it successfully. So it, we will teach you all of that. The thing you can't teach is like passion. Right. That's true. And like having the right intentions can't teach that either. That is, that is really amazing. I hope some of our listeners, um, if anyone had been teetering on, should I run? Should I think about this? I hope that this conversation has inspired them. That's very exciting. We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. We're going to close out with a segment that we do with all our guests that I call the four questions. It is not like the four questions as you may know it. I ask the same four questions of every guest and they're, you know, just a little fun, lighter, 
um, to get to know you more. So our first question is, what is your happiest memory? I actually have many. I will say that election night 2012, the first time I was part of a winning campaign, and we rode the trolley from the campaign headquarters, from the Obama campaign headquarters to where the big, um, his victory speech was going to be. And I was 22 years old. It was my first time. I'd been awake for like a hundred hours and we were banging champagne on the bus. And for some reason, screaming, fuck Rafalka, Mitt Romney's sports. Like, I don't know why that was the thing that we, we were very tired. And it was just like a moment of like gratitude for being part of this community that was going to do something really cool. That was good. Winning is good. I highly recommend it. Yeah. Most recent election winning, also very good election day, you know, whenever the day was finally called and getting to walk through Brooklyn and like singing, but go na 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 hey, hey, goodbye. And Brooklyn, like that was cool too. But yeah. Yeah. That is so inspiring. I, and that sounds very fun. Champagne banging on the tables. And was Obama part of the champagne banging? No, he was saying, you know, preparing to give a big speech to millions of people at home. He was not spraying champagne in a trolley down Michigan Avenue. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would, I would trade a lot to spray champagne with Barack Obama, to be honest. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> okay, our second question. If you could go on a vacation and bring two, any two people, alive or dead, who would they be? And where would you go? Because, you know, we're painting a picture here. Any two people alive or dead. Um, I would really like to see my grandma. <laughs> I wouldn't be grandma over here. So I would, I would like to see Grammy and pop up. You know, I haven't seen my grandparents in a year. It would, that would be nice. Um, I would also love, obviously, to go on vacation with Michelle Obama. Like, who wouldn't? But Barack is on yeah. date, but like I would love to go on vacation with. I think Michelle Obama and my Grammy would get along quite well, and we would have a very nice time in basically any beach that would have us anywhere. That's that sounds really perfect. That is that's a good answer. You're also the first person to have said Michelle Obama on this podcast, so you you took the answer. <laughs> um, okay, number three. What are you the worst at and should never be trusted with? Okay, so I was chewing on this question for a little bit and I asked my fiance, what am I the worst at? And he looked me dead in the eyes and goes, singing. And then looked down again. <laughs> and I was like, a bold statement for someone to say given how many times I've been singing Remy the Ratatouille's stuck in my head for the last three days. So apparently I'm not a very good singer and we'll deal with that later. <laughs> I join you in that um, I'm a really bad singer. Like, it's so bad. So, But I love to sing. I love to sing. So. I love karaoke. I think it, it requires not skill, but enthusiasm. So yes, come with that. As with many things. Yeah. <laughs> enthusiasm. As with running for office, clearly. You just need a lot of passion. <laughs> yeah. Okay, last question. If you could choose to magically solve any one of the world's problems, what would you solve? Um, it would be nice if I could leave my apartment to the global oh. pandemic. I would like it if coronavirus was gone. Um, but let's assume that's a gimme. Um, I think there's a lot more to do to change, being perpetually on brand, uh, to change leadership. I think like United States is not the only one that has a big problem with aging leadership and with young people's voices not being heard. And that when you have younger people and more marginalized communities in the room, it like sort of changes the tenor of conversation. 
but also mostly COVID. I would like to, I want, I want to leave my home. It would be good. So <laughs> I know it's, it's really, it's getting to be brutal. Like we're talking, we're now on like three months of like, no, even like outdoor dining. So this is, that, is, that definitely makes a lot of sense since you are already focusing so much on that, that that would be your answer. You know, I got to always be on brand. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're already putting all your energy towards it. It just makes total sense. Amanda, so before we end, tell me, tell the audience, where can they find you on either social media, the internet, your book, and if they want to get involved? Great question. So the place to go to learn more about the organization is Run for Something. You can also find my book, Run for Something, a real talk guide to fixing the system yourself, available wherever books are sold. And if you want to hear stories from some of our amazing candidates and alumni all across the country, um, I also host Run for Something, the podcast, uh, which is available wherever you get your shows. Um, what, No matter how you want to get involved, whether you want to run, you want to learn more about running, you want to help people running, we have ways for you to plug in. So find us on all social media accounts. Uh, I'm Amanda Lippman on Twitter and Amanda L-I-T-M on Instagram. Thank you so much. I have I have a friend I'm trying to convince to run. So I'm going to send her this episode. Send her our way. Thank you. This was really, this was really great. Thank you for listening to today's Afternoon Tea. If you're enjoying this podcast, you can help us grow by heading over to the feed on iTunes to rate, review, and subscribe, or follow if you're listening on Spotify. Until next Friday, I'm Sammy Sage, and this has been your political therapy session. Afternoon Tea is brought to you by The Betches Sup. Our producers are Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales, Stacey Wong, and Nicole Pellegrino. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Artwork by Brittany Levine. Our editor is Stacey Wong. Be sure to follow Morning Announcements on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you never miss a morning news update. Betches.